of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zulsdorf in another podcast. Welcome as our guest today, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary in Astana, Kazakhstan. He weighs in on the post-synodal apostolic exhortation by Pope Francis Amoris Laetitia. The post-synodal apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, was released on the 8th of April in 2016, and controversy followed in its wake. In the 8th and final chapter of that exhortation, there are ambiguities which have led to widely differing interpretations, and also uh, strident calls for changes in the practice of the Church regarding communion for the divorced and remarried. But the troubling aspects in chapter 8 have far wider implications than simply for communion for that small set of persons, uh, divorced and remarried, and others in irregular marriages. For example, if communion can be given to them, then what behavior does bar a person from receiving Holy Communion? If you can violate one of the Ten Commandments, then which of the other commandments can you violate? Do the commandments mean anything? Does the church's moral teaching mean anything? Can it simply be changed, or is it fixed? Will the only grave sins left for the 21st century be, for example, acting against the environment by turning up your air conditioning too high? Seriously, if adultery does not exclude from Holy Communion, then what does? Actually, it puts the entire moral teaching of the Church on the table. Bishop Athanasius Schneider, uh, who, as I can personally attest, is a fine man and a scholar, has written a longish reaction in Italian. It has been put into English, not by me. Uh, What follows is not by translation. But those who put it into English did it as a great service. And those who put it into English, translated it, wanted it widely diffused, as does Bishop Schneider himself. So here is my contribution to our ongoing or continuing education about Amoris Laetitia. I'm going to read Bishop Schneider's essay to you. As I said, it's longish. In English, it turns out to be over 6,500 words. But without delay, Here is Bishop Schneider, read by yours truly. I'm going to read also the uh, uh, references that are within the text, and I'll try to indicate as much as I can very short quotes or little phrases that might be in quotes by how I use my voice, but I'll also add 
quote and close quote for the longer citations so you can kind of follow along or mentally visualize the text if you don't have it in front of you. Here is Bishop Schneider. Il paradosso delle interpretazioni contraddittorie di Amores Letizia. L'esortazione apostolica Amores Letizia, pubblicata di recente, che contiene una grande ricchezza spirituale e pastorale per la vita nel matrimonio e nella famiglia cristiana della nostra epoca, purtroppo ha già in poco tempo provocato interpretazioni contraddittorie perfino nell'ambiente dell'episcopato. Vi sono vescovi e preti che avevano pubblicamente e apertamente a need for clarification in order to avoid a general confusion by Bishop Athanasius Schneider. The paradox of the contradictory interpretations of Amoris Laetitia. The recently published apostolic exhortation Amoris Laetitia, which contains a plethora of spiritual and pastoral riches with regard to life within marriage and the Christian family in our times, has unfortunately, within a very short time, led to very contradictory interpretations, even among the episcopate. There are bishops and priests who publicly and openly declare that Amoris Laetitia represents a very clear opening up to communion for the divorced and remarried, without requiring them to practice continence. In their opinion, it is this aspect of sacramental practice which, according to them, is now to undergo a significant change that gives Amoris Laetitia its true revolutionary character. In interpreting Amoris Laetitia with reference to irregular couples, a president of a bishop's conference has stated in a text published on the website of the same bishop's conference, quote, This is a dispensation of mercy, an openness of heart and of spirit that needs no law, awaits no guideline, nor bides on prompting. It can and should happen immediately. This opinion was further confirmed by the recent declarations of Father Antonio Spadaro, S.J., after the Synod of Bishops in 2015, that the Synod had established the foundations for the access of divorced and remarried couples to communion by opening a door that had still been closed during the previous synod in 2014. Now, as Father Spadaro alleges in his commentary on Amoris Laetitia, his prediction has been confirmed. There are rumors that Father Spadaro was a member of the editorial group behind Amoris Laetitia. The way to abusive interpretations appears to have been paved by Cardinal Christoph Schönborn himself, who said during the official presentation of Amoris Laetitia in Rome, with regard to irregular unions, that, quote, My great joy as a result of this document resides in the fact that it coherently overcomes that artificial, superficial, clear division between regular and irregular, close quote. Such a statement suggests that there is no clear difference between a valid sacramental marriage and an irregular union between venial and mortal sin. 
On the other hand, there are bishops who claim that Amores Laetitia ought to be read in the light of the perennial magisterium of the Church, and that Amores Laetitia does not permit access to communion for divorced and remarried couples, not even in exceptional cases. This statement is fundamentally correct and desirable. In fact, the content of every magisterial text must, as a rule, be in its content consistent with the former teachings of the magisterium of the Church, without any break. It is no secret, however, that divorced and remarried couples are admitted to Holy Communion in a number of churches, without their being required to practice continence. It must be admitted that certain statements in Amores Laetitia could be used to justify an abusive practice that has already been going on for some time in various places and circumstances in the life of the Church. Certain statements of Amoris Laetitia are objectively vulnerable to misinterpretations. Our Holy Father Pope Francis has invited us all to make a contribution to reflection and dialogue on the sensitive issues surrounding marriage and the family. Quote, the thinking of pastors and theologians, if faithful to the Church, honest, realistic, and creative, will help us to achieve greater clarity. Close quote. Amoris Laetitia 2. If we analyze certain statements of Amoris Laetitia with intellectual honesty within their proper context, we find ourselves faced with difficulties when trying to interpret them in accordance with the traditional doctrine of the Church. This is due to the absence of the concrete and explicit affirmation of the doctrine and constant practice of the Church, founded on the Word of God and reiterated by Pope John Paul II, who said, quote, However the Church reaffirms her practice, which is based upon sacred scripture, of not admitting to Eucharistic communion divorced persons who have remarried, they are unable to be admitted thereto from the fact that their state and condition of life objectively contradict that union of love between Christ and the Church, which is signified and effected by the Eucharist. Besides this, there is another special pastoral reason. If these people were admitted to the Eucharist, the faithful would be led into error and confusion regarding the Church's teaching about the indissolubility of marriage. Reconciliation and the sacrament of penance, which would open the way to the Eucharist, can only be granted to those who are sincerely ready to undertake a way of life that is no longer in contradiction to the indissolubility of marriage. This means, in practice, that they take on themselves the duty to live in complete continence, that is, by abstinence from the acts proper to married couples. Close quote. Familiaris Consortio 84 Pope Francis had not established, quote, a new general norm of canon law applicable to all cases, close quote. Amoris Laetitia, footnote 300. He says, however, in note 336, quote, This is also the case with regard to sacramental discipline, since discernment can recognize that in a particular situation no grave fault exists, close quote. Obviously referring to the divorced and remarried, the Pope says in Amoris Laetitia, footnote 305, that, 
Quote, because of forms of conditioning and mitigating factors, it is possible that in an objective situation of sin, which may not be subjectively culpable or fully such, a person can be living in God's grace, can love, and can also grow in the life of grace and charity while receiving the church's help to this end. Close quote. In footnote 351, the Pope clarifies his statement by saying that, quote, in some cases, this may include the help of the sacraments. Close quote. In the same chapter 8 of Amoris Laetitia, footnote 298, the Pope speaks of the divorced involved in, quote, a second union consolidated over time with new children, proven fidelity, generous self-giving, Christian commitment, a consciousness of its irregularity and of the great difficulty in going back without feeling in conscience that one would fall into new sins, the Church acknowledges situations, quote, where for serious reasons, such as the children's upbringing, a man and a woman cannot satisfy the obligation to separate, close quotes. In note 329, the Pope cites the document Gaudium et Space of the Second Vatican Council. Unfortunately, he does so in an incorrect fashion, because in the passage in question, the Council refers only to valid Christian marriages. The application of this statement to divorced persons may cause the impression that a valid marriage is to be equated to the union of divorced persons, if not in theory, then in practice. The admission of divorced and remarried persons to Holy Communion and its consequences. Unfortunately, Amoris Laetitia contains no verbal quotes of the principles underlying the moral teaching of the Church in the form in which they are formulated in number 84 of the Apostolic Exhortation Familiaris Consortio and in the encyclical Veritatis Splendor of Pope John Paul II, particularly on the following topics of paramount importance. Fundamental Choice Veritatis Splendor, Numbers 67-68. to 68. Mortal and Venial Sin, the same, Numbers 69-70. to 70. Proportionalism, Consequentialism, the same, Number 75. Martyrdom and Universal and Unchanging Moral Norms, the same, Number 91 and following. However, a verbal quote from Familiaris Consortio number 84 and of some of the most significant affirmations in Veritatis Splendor would render Amoris Laetitia unassailable by heterodox interpretations. General allusions to moral principles and to the doctrine of the Church are certainly insufficient in a controversial matter that is both sensitive and of fundamental importance. Representatives of the clergy and even of the episcopate are already affirming that, according to the spirit of chapter 8 of Amoris Laetitia, the possibility that in exceptional cases the divorced and remarried may be admitted to Holy Communion without being required to live in perfect continence cannot be excluded. 
If we accept such an interpretation of the wording and spirit of Amoris Laetitia, we must, if we want to be intellectually honest and respect the law of non-contradiction, also accept the following logical conclusions. The sixth divine commandment, which prohibits any sexual act that does not take place within a valid marriage, would no longer be universally valid, but would admit exceptions. In the present case, this would mean that the divorced could practice the conjugal act and even be encouraged to do so to help them maintain mutual fidelity. See Amoris Laetitia 298. There could, therefore, be fidelity in a lifestyle that directly contradicts the express will of God. However, to encourage and legitimize acts that are and will always be as such contrary to the will of God would mean to contradict divine revelation. Words of Christ himself, quote, What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder, close quote. Matthew 19, verse 6 would no longer apply always and to all spouses, without exception. It would be possible in a special case to receive the sacrament of penance and holy communion while intending to continue one's direct violation of God's commandments. Quote, Thou shalt not commit adultery, close quote, Exodus 20, verse 14, and, quote, What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder, close quote, Matthew 19, verse 6, Genesis 2, verse 24. The observances of these commandments and of the word of God would, in such a case, be a matter of theory rather than of practice, and would, therefore, lead the divorced and remarried into deceiving themselves. James 1, verse 22. It would, therefore, be possible to believe perfectly in the divine nature of the sixth commandment and in the dissolubility of marriage without, however, acting accordingly. The Divine Word of Christ quote, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her, and if a wife divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Close quote. Mark 10, verse 12 would actually no longer be universally valid, but would be subject to exceptions. A permanent and infallible teaching of the Church would no longer be universally valid, particularly the teaching confirmed by Pope John Paul II in Familiaris Consortio 84 and by Pope Benedict XVI in Sacramentum Caritatis 29, according to which the precondition for admission to the sacraments of the divorced and remarried is perfect continence. The observance of the sixth commandment of God and of the indissolubility of marriage would become an ideal that is not attainable by all, but only by a kind of elite. The uncompromising words of Christ commanding men to observe the commandments of God always and in all circumstances, and even to take upon themselves considerable suffering in order to do so, in other words, to accept the cross, would no longer be valid as absolute truth. Quote, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be cast into hell. Close quote. Matthew 5, verse 30. 
Admitting couples living in irregular unions to Holy Communion and allowing them to practice acts that are reserved for spouses in a valid marriage would be tantamount to the usurpation of a power that does not belong to any human authority, because to do so would be a pretension to correct the Word of God Himself. The Danger of the Church's Collaboration in Spreading the Plague of Divorce Professing the eternal doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Church teaches, quote, The Church, since she is faithful to her Lord, cannot recognize the union of people who are civilly divorced and remarried. Quote, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Close quote. Mark 10, verses 11 to 12. The church manifests an attentive solicitude towards such people and encourages them to a life of faith, prayer, works of charity, and the Christian education of their children. However, they cannot receive sacramental absolution, take Holy Communion, or exercise certain ecclesial responsibilities as long as their situation, which objectively contravenes God's law, persists. Close quote. Compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 349. Living in an invalid marital union and constantly contradicting the commandment of God and the sacredness and indissolubility of marriage signifies not to live in the truth. To declare that the deliberate, free, and habitual practice of sexual acts in an invalid marital union could, in individual cases, no longer constitute a grave sin, is not the truth, but a serious lie, and will therefore never bring genuine joy in love. Consequently, to grant permission to such persons to receive Holy Communion would be a bluffing, a hypocrisy, and a lie. The word of God in Scripture is still valid. Quote, he who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Close quote. 1 John 2, verse 4. The magisterium of the church teaches us about the individual validity of the Ten Commandments. Quote, Since they express man's fundamental duties towards God and towards his neighbor, the Ten Commandments reveal, in their primordial content, grave obligations. They are fundamentally immutable, and they oblige always and everywhere. No one can dispense from them. Close quote. Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2072. Those who claimed that God's commandments, including the commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery, admit of exceptions, and that in some cases people should not be held accountable for the fault of divorce, were the Pharisees, and later the Christian Gnostics of the second and third centuries. The following statements of the magisterium are still valid, because they are part of the infallible magisterium, as expressed by the universal and ordinary magisterium. Quote, the negative precepts of the natural law are universally valid. They oblige each and every individual, always and in every circumstance. It is a matter of prohibitions which forbid a given action, semper et pro semper, without exception, are kinds of behavior which can never, in any situation, be a proper response. 
the church has always taught that one may never choose kinds of behavior prohibited by the moral commandments expressed in negative form in the Old and New Testaments. As we have seen, Jesus himself reaffirms that these prohibitions allow no exceptions. Quote, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Matthew 19, verses 17 to 18, close quote. St. John Paul II, Encyclical Letter, Veritatis Splendor, 52. The magisterium of the church teaches us even more clearly, quote, a good and pure conscience is enlightened by true faith, for charity proceeds at the same time, quote, from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Close quotes. 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. See also 3, verse 9. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Acts 24, verse 16. Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1794. In the event of a person committing objectively sinful moral acts, in full awareness of the sinfulness of such acts, freely and deliberately, and with the intention of repeating such acts in the future, it is impossible to apply the principle of imputability for a fault because of mitigating circumstances. The application of the principle of imputability to such divorced and remarried couples would constitute hypocrisy and a Gnostic sophism. If the Church were to admit such people to Holy Communion, even in a single case, it would contradict its own doctrine, give public testimony against the indissolubility of marriage, and thus contribute to the spreading of the plague of divorce. Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes, 47. In order to avoid such an intolerable and scandalous contradiction, the Church, in its infallible interpretation of the divine truth of moral law and of the indissolubility of marriage, has, for two thousand years, steadfastly observed the practice of admitting to Holy Communion only those divorced who live in perfect continence and remoto scandalo, without any exception or exceptional privilege. The first pastoral task that the Lord entrusted to his church was to teaching, the doctrine, See Matthew 28, verse 20. The observance of the commandments of God is intrinsically linked to doctrine. For this reason, the Church has always rejected any contradiction between doctrine and practical life, referring to such contradictions as Gnostic, or as the heretical Lutheran theory of Simul Justus et Peccator. There should be no contradiction between the faith and the daily life of the children of the Church. When dealing with the observances of the express commands of God and the indissolubility of marriage, we cannot speak of opposing theological interpretations. If God says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, no human authority could say, In some exceptional cases or for a good purpose you can commit adultery. The following assertions of Pope Francis are very important. The Pope speaks about the integration of the divorced and remarried in the life of the Church. Quote, this discernment can never prescind from the gospel demands of truth and charity as proposed by the Church. The following conditions must necessarily be present. Humility, 
discretion and love for the church and her teaching. There can be no risk that a specific discernment may lead people to think that the church maintains a double standard. Close quote. Amoris Laetitia, 300. These laudable statements in Amoris Laetitia, however, remain without concrete specifications on the question of the obligation of the divorced and remarried to separate or at least to live in perfect continence. When it is a question of the life or death of the body, no physician would express his opinions in such an ambiguous manner. The doctor cannot tell the patient, quote, you have to decide whether or not to take the medicine in accordance with your conscience, while at the same time respecting the laws of medicine. Such a behavior on the part of a doctor would very likely be considered irresponsible, and yet the life of our immortal soul is more important, since it is on the health of the soul that its fate for eternity depends. THE LIBERATING TRUTH OF PENANCE AND OF THE MYSTERY OF THE CROSS To say that remarried divorcees are not public sinners in the church is a pretense of wrong facts. The true condition of all members of the church militant on earth, moreover, is that of sinners. If the divorced and remarried say that their voluntary and deliberate acts against the sixth commandment of God are not always sinful, or at least do not constitute major sins, they are deceiving themselves, and the truth will not be in them. As St. John says, quote, If we say, We have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, We have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Close quote. 1 John 1, verses 8-10 to 10. The acceptance on the part of divorced and remarried of the truth that they are sinners, and even public sinners, will not deprive them of their Christian hope, only the acceptance of reality and truth will enable them to take the path of a fruitful penitence according to the words of Jesus Christ. It would be very beneficial to restore the spirit of the early Christians and of the times of the fathers of the church, when there was a living solidarity with public sinners on the part of the faithful. However, this solidarity was based on the truth. There was nothing discriminatory in such solidarity. On the contrary, the whole church participated in the penitential progress of public sinners by prayers of intercession, tears, acts of expiation, and acts of charity for their benefit. The apostolic exhortation Familiaris Consortio teaches that, quote, even those who have strayed from the Lord's command and are still living in this state, divorced and remarried, may obtain from God the grace of conversion and salvation if they persevere in prayer penance and charity. Close quote. Number 84. During the first centuries, public sinners were integrated into the praying community of the faithful and were instructed to kneel, with arms raised, to implore the intercession of their brothers. Tertullian gives us this moving testimony. Quote, the body cannot rejoice when one of its members is suffering. It must suffer and strive for recovery in its entirety. When you stretch out your hands towards the knees of your brothers, it is Christ 
that you touch. It is Christ that you implore. Similarly, when they weep over you, it is Christ who sympathizes. Close quote. De Penitentia 10, paragraphs 5 to 6. St. Ambrose of Milan found similar words. Quote, the whole church took upon herself the burden of the public sinner, suffering with him through tears, prayers, and pain. Close quote. De Penitentia 1, 81. It is true, of course, that the forms of the penitential discipline of the church have changed. However, the spirit of this discipline must remain alive in the church at all times. Today, priests and bishops, relying on certain statements of Amoris Laetitia, are beginning to imply to the divorced and remarried that their condition does not render them public sinners from an objective point of view. They tranquilize them by stating that their sexual relations are not a grave sin. Such an attitude does not correspond to the truth. They are depriving the divorced and remarried of the possibility of a radical conversion to the obedience of God, letting these souls live in an illusion. Such a pastoral approach is very easy, cheap, and costs nothing. There are no tears, prayers, and intercessory works inspired by brotherly love to be offered for the benefit of the divorced and remarried. In admitting the divorced and remarried to Holy Communion, even in exceptional cases, without asking them to stop performing acts contrary to the Sixth Commandment of God, and also presumptuously declaring that their manner of life is not a serious sin, we take the easy way out by pushing aside the scandal of the cross. Such pastoral care of the divorced and remarried is ephemeral and misleading. To all those who advocate this cheap and easy way out for the divorced and remarried, Jesus is still addressing the words, quote, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, because your thoughts are not those of God, but of men. Close quote. What Jesus said to his disciples was that, quote, If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. Close quote. Matthew 16, verses 24 to 25. Regarding the pastoral care of divorced and remarried couples, we must rekindle in our day the spirit of following Christ through the truth of the cross and of penance, which alone can bring lasting joy, avoiding ephemeral pleasures that are ultimately misleading. The following words of Pope Gregory the Great are not only truly applicable to our current situation, but also shine a bright light on it. Quote, we must not become too attached to our earthly exile. The convenience of this life must not make us forget our true homeland, lest our spirit become drowsy in the midst of these amenities. For this reason, God combines his gifts with visitations or punishments to ensure that everything that delights us in this world becomes bitter for us, and the soul is filled with the fire that always rekindles in us the desire of heavenly things and enables us to progress. This fire makes us suffer with pleasure, crucifies us gently, and fills us with a joyful sadness. In Hezekiah 2, 4, 3 The spirit of genuine penitential discipline of the early church always remained alive in the church at all times until today.
We have a shining example of it in the blessed Laura Vicuña del Carmen, born in 1891 in Chile. Sister Azucar, who took care of Laura, recalled, quote, I remember that the first time I explained the sacrament of marriage, Laura fainted, probably because she understood from my words that her mother was living in mortal sin as long as she remained with that gentleman. During that time in Hunin, only one family lived in accordance with God's will. Therefore, Laura multiplied her prayers and penances for her mother. She received her first communion on June 2, 1901, with great fervor, and she wrote the following resolutions. Quote, 1. I want to love and serve you all my life, O my Jesus. For this I offer you my soul, my heart, and my whole being. 2. I prefer to die rather than offend you by sin, so I want to distance myself from anything that could separate me from you. 3. I promise to do my best, even if I have to suffer great sacrifices, that you may be ever more known and loved, and to repair the offenses inflicted upon you daily by men who do not love you, especially the ones who receive from those who are close to me. O oh my God, grant me a life of love, mortification, and sacrifice. But her great joy was clouded by seeing her mother, present at the ceremony, not receiving communion. In 1902, Laura offered her life for her mother, who was living with a man in an irregular union in Argentina. Laura multiplied her prayers and sacrifices for the true conversion of her mother. A few hours before she died, she called her mother to her bedside and said to her, quote, Mother, I am going to die. I have asked Jesus for this, and my prayers have been heard. Almost two years ago I offered my life for the grace of your conversion. Mother, will I not have the joy of seeing you repent before I die? Close quote. Her mother, shocked and overwhelmed, made the promise, quote, Tomorrow morning I will go to the church, and I will go to confession. Close quote. Laura caught the eye of the priest attending her and said, quote, Father, my mother has just promised to abandon this man. Bear witness to her promise. Close quote. Then she added, quote, Now I can die happy. Close quote. With these words, she expired on the 22nd of January, 1904, in Junín de los Andes, Argentina, at the age of 13, in the arms of her mother, who rediscovered her faith and put an end to the irregular union in which she had been living. The admirable example of the life of the young girl now known as Blessed Laura is a demonstration of the seriousness with which a true Catholic treats the sixth commandment of God and the sacredness and indissolubility of marriage. Our Lord Jesus Christ commanded us to avoid even the appearance of approving an irregular or adulterous union. The Church has always faithfully preserved and transmitted this divine command in its doctrine and practice without any ambiguity. With the offering of her young life, Blessed Laura certainly did not intend to represent one of several possible different doctrinal or pastoral interpretations. One does not offer one's life for a possible doctrinal or pastoral interpretation, but for an immutable and universally valid divine truth. 
This truth has been demonstrated by a large number of saints who offered their lives, beginning with St. John the Baptist, to the simple faithful today whose name only God knows. The Need for Veritatis Laetitia Fortunately, there can be no doubt that Amoris Laetitia contains theological affirmations as well as spiritual and pastoral guidelines of great value. However, realistically speaking, it is insufficient to say that Amoris Laetitia should be interpreted according to the traditional doctrine and practice of the Church. If an ecclesiastical document, which in our case is neither definitive nor infallible, is found to contain elements likely to give rise to interpretations and applications that could have dangerous spiritual consequences, all members of the Church, and especially the bishops, as the fraternal collaborators of the Supreme Pontiff in effective collegiality, have a duty to report this and respectfully request an authentic interpretation. In questions concerning divine faith, the divine commandments, and the sacredness and indissolubility of marriage, all members of the Church, from the simple faithful to the highest representative of the magisterium, must join in the effort to keep intact the treasure of faith and practice. In fact, it was the Second Vatican Council that taught, quote, the entire body of the faithful, anointed as they are by the Holy One, see 1 John 2, verses 20 to 27, cannot err in matters of belief. They manifest this special property by means of the whole people's supernatural discernment of matters of faith when, quote, from the bishops down to the last of the lay faithful, close quote, see St. Augustine, De Predicatione Sanctorum, 1427, they show universal agreement in matters of faith and morals. That discernment in matters of faith is aroused and sustained by the Spirit of Truth. It is exercised under the guidance of the sacred teaching authority, in faithful and respectful obedience to which the people of God accepts that which is not just the word of men, but truly the word of God. See 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Through it, the people of God adheres unwaveringly to the faith given once and for all to the saints. See Jude 3. Penetrates it more deeply with right thinking and applies it more fully in its life. Close quote. Lumen Gentium 12. The magisterium for its part is, quote, not above the word of God, but serves it, teaching only what has been transmitted. Close quote. Second Vatican Council, Dei Verbum 10. It was the Second Vatican Council that encouraged all the faithful, and especially the bishops, to express their concerns and observations without fear for the good of the Church as a whole. Servility and political correctness have introduced a pernicious evil into the life of the Church. The famous bishop and theologian of the Council of Trent, Melchior Cano, O.P., said these memorable words, quote, Peter does not need our lies or flattery. Those who close their eyes to the facts and indiscriminately defend every decision of the Supreme Pontiff are those who contribute most to undermining the authority of the Holy See. They destroy its foundations instead of strengthening them. Our Lord has taught us clearly what constitutes true love and the true joy of love. Quote, he that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. 
Close quote. John 14, verse 21. When he gave man the sixth commandment and ordered him to observe the indissolubility of marriage, God gave it to all men without exception, not just to an elite. Already in the Old Testament God said, quote, This commandment which I have given you today is certainly not beyond your strength and reach. Close quote. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. And, quote, If you want to, you shall keep the commandments to remain faithful to his will. Close quote. Ecclesiastes 15.15 15. And Jesus said to all, quote, If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Quote. Which commandments? And Jesus answered, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. Close quote. Matthew 19, verses 17 to 18. From the teaching of the apostles we have received the same doctrine, quote, for to love God is to keep his commandments, and his commandments do not weigh heavily upon us. Close quote. 1 John 5, verse 4. There is no true, supernatural, and eternal life without keeping the commandments of God. Quote, I command you to observe his commandments. I have set before you life and death. Choose life. Close quote. Deuteronomy 30, verses 16. There is therefore no real life and no real genuine joy of love without truth. Quote, love consists in living according to his commandments. Second John 6. The joy of love is still the joy of the truth. The authentically Christian life consists in the life and in the joy of truth. Quote, learning that my children live in the truth, there is nothing that brings me greater joy. Close quote. 3 John 4. St. Augustine explains the intimate connection between joy and truth. Quote, I ask them all whether they do not prefer the joy of truth to that obtained by lies. And they do not hesitate over this question any more than over the question of happiness. For the happy life is the joy of the truth. We all want the joy of the truth. Confessions, Book 10, 23. The Danger of General Confusion with Regard to the Indissolubility of Marriage For some time already we have seen in some places and environments of the life of the Church the tacit abuse of the admission of divorced and remarried couples to Holy Communion without requiring them to live in perfect continence. The unclear statements in chapter 8 of Amoris Laetitia have given a new dynamism to the declared advocates of the admission of divorced and remarried couples to Holy Communion in special cases. We now observe the phenomenon of the abuse beginning to spread even more in practice, since those in favor of it are now feeling justified to some extent. There is also obviously some confusion with respect to the interpretation of the relevant assertions in chapter 8 of Amoris Laetitia. This confusion is increased by the fact that everyone, both supporters of the admission of the divorced and remarried to Holy Communion and their opponents, are saying that, quote, the doctrine of the Church concerning this issue has not changed, Close quote. Taking due account of historical and doctrinal differences, our situation shows some parallels and analogies with the great confusion caused by the Arian crisis in the fourth century. 
At that time, the apostolic and traditional faith in the true divinity of the Son of God was secured by means of the term consubstantial, homoousios, dogmatically proclaimed by the universal magisterium of the First Council of Nicaea. The profound crisis of faith, accompanied by an almost universal confusion, was caused mainly by the refusal or avoidance strategies to use and profess the word consubstantial, homoousios. Instead, the clergy and mainly the episcopate began to propose alternative expressions that were ambiguous and imprecise, as such, for instance, similar in substance, homoousios, or simply similar, homoios. The formula homoousios, adopted by the universal magisterium of that time, expressed the full and true divinity of the Lord with so much precision that it left no space for equivocal interpretation. In the years 357 to 360, almost the entire episcopate had become Arian or semi-Arian as a result of the following events. In 357, Pope Liberius signed one of the ambiguous formulations of Sirmium, in which the term homoousios was eliminated. Furthermore, the Pope, in a scandalous move, excommunicated St. Athanasius. St. Hilary Poitiers was the only bishop who dared to rebuke Pope Liberius severely for these ambiguous acts. In 359, the parallel synods of the Western Episcopate in Rimini and that of the Eastern Episcopate in Seleucia had accepted fully Arian formulas that were even worse than the ambiguous formula signed by Pope Liberius. Describing the confusion of those times, St. Jerome said, quote, Everyone was surprised to realize that they had become Arians. Close quote. In Jemuit totus orbis et Arianum se esse miratus est. Adversus Luciferianus 19. Arguably, in our time, confusion is already spreading with regard to the sacramental discipline for divorced and remarried couples. There is therefore a very real basis for the assumption that the confusion may reach truly vast proportions if one fail to propose and proclaim the following formula of the universal and infallible magisterium. Quote, Reconciliation in the sacrament of penance, which would open the way to the Eucharist, can only be granted to those who take on themselves the duty to live in complete continence, that is, by abstinence from the acts proper to married couples. St. John Paul II, Familiaris Consortio, 84. This formula is unfortunately and incomprehensibly missing in Amoris Laetitia. However, the apostolic exhortation inexplicably contains the following statement, quote, In such situations, many people, knowing and accepting the possibility of living, quote, as brothers and sisters, close quote, which the Church offers them, point out that if certain expressions of intimacy are lacking, it often happens that faithfulness is endangered and the good of the children suffers. Close quote. Amoris Laetitia, 298, footnote 329. Such a statement leaves the impression of a contradiction with regard to the perennial teaching of the universal magisterium, as formulated in the cited passage from Familiaris Consortio 84. 
There is an urgent necessity for the Holy See to confirm and reproclaim the cited formula of Familiaris Consortio 84, perhaps in the form of an authentic interpretation of Amoris Laetitia. This formula may be seen, to some extent, as the homoousios of our days. The lack of such a formal and explicit confirmation of the formula of Familiaris Consortio 84 from the Apostolic See could contribute to major confusion with regard to sacramental discipline, with the subsequent gradual and inevitable repercussions on doctrinal questions. This would lead to a situation to which it would be possible in the future to apply the following statement, quote, Everyone was surprised to find that divorce had been accepted in practice, close quote. In Jemuit totus orbis et divorcium in praxise accipise miratus est. Confusion in sacramental discipline with regard to divorced and remarried couples, with its inevitable doctrinal implications, would contradict the nature of the Catholic Church, such as it was described by St. Irenaeus in the second century, quote, The Church, having received this preaching and this faith, although scattered around the world, keeps them carefully as though inhabiting a single house, and she believes in an identical manner as though she had only one soul and one heart, and she preaches, teaches, and transmits in a unanimous voice, as though having only one mouth. Adversus Heresis 1.10.2 The See of Peter, that is, the Sovereign Pontiff, is the guarantor of the unity of the faith and of apostolic sacramental discipline. Considering the confusion regarding sacramental practice in respect of the divorced and remarried, and the many differing interpretations of Amoris Laetitia amongst priests and bishops, one may consider justified the call on our beloved Pope Francis, the Vicar of Christ, the sweet Christ on earth, St. Catherine of Siena, to order the publication of an authentic interpretation of Amoris Laetitia, which must necessarily contain the explicit proclamation of the disciplinary principle of the universal and infallible magisterium concerning the admission of the divorced and remarried couples to the sacraments, according to the formulation in Familiaris Consortio 84. In the great Arian confusion of the 4th century, St. Basil the Great made an urgent appeal to the Pope of Rome, asking him to give, through his word, a clear direction, so as finally to ensure unity in the thought of faith and charity. See Letter 70. An authentic interpretation of Amoris Laetitia by the Apostolic See would bring to the entire Church claritatis Laetitia, the joy in charity. Such clarity will ensure the joy in love, Amoris Laetitia, a love and a joy that would not be, quote, according to the minds of men, but to the mind of God, close quote. Matthew 16, verse 23. And this is what counts for the joy, the life, and the eternal salvation of the divorced and remarried, and of all men. Athanasius Schneider, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary in Astana, Kazakhstan. Amoris Laetitia. Un amore e una gioia che non sarebbero secondo la mente degli uomini, ma secondo la mente di Dio. Ed è questo ciò che conta per la gioia, la vita 
e la salvezza eterna di divorziati risposati e di tutti gli uomini. Athanasius Schneider, Vescovo Ausiliare dell'Arcidiocesi di Maria Santissima in Astana, Kazakhstan. Makes you wanna get down and crawl like a beggar for its touch. And all the while, it's free as air. Like plants, the medicine is everywhere. It is important that we know what the problems are in this document, which doesn't take away from some of the advantages that Amoris Laetitia presents as well. But let us be clear about the problems and respectfully ask for clarifications. Thank you very much for listening. This is Father John Zolsdorf. Until next time, please pray for me as I will for you. We think it's easy, sometimes it's easy, but it's not easy, you're gonna break down and cry, we're not important, we should be grateful, and if you're one